Well, happy holidays. Whether we like it or not, it's that time of year. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Kwanzaa. Uh, happy Hanukkah. Uh, any number of greetings, seasons greetings are out there. I think what we do with all these different holidays, we just think, kind of lump it all up and we just say seasons greetings because there's so many out there. What are we saying when we say happy, happy, uh, Thanksgiving or, or Merry Christmas? We're, we're wanting in some kind of platitude, some kind of verbal enunciation, some kind of pleasantry, we might be able to bestow a good holiday season on someone. Not a bad thing. Very good thing. It's a great wish. It's a great prayer for everyone that we would have, not just a a happy Thanksgiving and not just a Merry Christmas and not just a Happy New Year, but that truly our lives would be full of happiness. Uh, And really, that's what we're, we're asking for a season, what we should be granting and praying for and seeking after and longing for and and bestowing upon people a happy life. And I wonder sometimes if we can really measure what a happy life looks like, what a joy-filled, overflowing life looks like. Well, it's become an ambition of Great Britain. I heard this just this past week on the radio, listening to the BBC. They they were talking about how they are trying to, to, to measure uh, the welfare of the, of the nation. Now, obviously, you have the, the GDP that every nation uh, measures itself by its gross domestic product and, and how well it is financially. But there's now this new aim in, in, in the country. It's received some flack because they're going to have to spend money. They're going to have to, it's going to take taxpayer dollars uh, to be able to, uh, it's going to take money from the queen uh, so that they can measure this new form of measurement. It's called, not the GDP, but it's called the GWB. The GWB stands for the General Well-Being. I've been doing some research this week on understanding what they're looking for and, and trying to dive into that. And what they're trying to understand is what not only is our gross domestic product, that will determine our economic uh, viability, but what is the general well-being of our people? How do you measure that? How do you dive into that? But, but literally, the Prime Minister of Great Britain, David Cameron, has said this. He says, well-being can't be measured by money, by traded markets. It can't be required by law or delivered by government. It's about the beauty of our surroundings, the quality of our culture, and above all, the strength of our relationships. Improving our society's sense of well-being, I believe, is the central political challenge of our times. Now, I would hope that that uh, Prime Minister Cameron is not thinking for a, a moment that he is going to be able to make all of Great Britain happy, that he is going to be able to satisfy all of their wants, cravings, and desires. But he has tapped into something to say that it is the chief political thing of the day, the chief political job is to make the welfare of our people better. How is life, what's the quality of life look like? Now, again, I would hate for him to spend a lot of Great Britain's uh, money and the Queen's money because they have a big wedding. I understand now that they're having to save up for uh, in, in, the, in, in the country, but that's something that, that as a nation, the, it, the Prime Minister has put on the front burner. And the great thing is, is I can help him out for a small 
few pounds, I will be able to help him out because I've actually done some more research on it. And there's already been studies out there trying to determine what, who, when, where, how are people happy? What makes people full and overflowing in their life? Interesting, this study was done and reported on, 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 a, on a web uh, newspaper uh, out, of the Houston, uh, out of the Houston area. And it's, they surveyed, Gallup surveyed, 550,000 people asking them what was it that uh, the characteristics that made up the happiest, most fulfilled people on earth. They, they looked at them concerning their physical, emotional health and their work environment. What did they find? They found one very great common characteristic, that those who were very spiritual were the most well-balanced, had the best life, had the highest levels of satisfaction than any other category. That just kind of popped off the page. So when we come to wish somebody a good new year, a Merry Christmas, more than it being some pleasantry blessing that we give to somebody, more than desiring that we have our, in our own life a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year and a, and, a, and a Merry or Happy Thanksgiving, then let's drill down a little deeper and see how we can get that joy-filled seasonal experience throughout the seasons of our life. And if you take your Bibles, we find in the book of 1 Thessalonians. It'll be way back in the, in the New Testament area. You'll find uh, a lot of Paul's writings. And you'll come to 1 Thessalonians. And uh, Timothy's are right after that. Little, the little epistles of Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians are right before. And you come to, you come to 1 Thessalonians. And this is one of the most joy-filled letters that Paul has written. I mean, it is absolutely, you, you, you read the Corinthian letter and you just hear him scratching his head and beating his head against the wall and how are we going to fix this church? You are so messed up, you're so much full of the world and so little of God inside of you, uh, what are we going to do? But then you come to the book of First Thessalonians and you just hear the joy from verse 1 on. You just hear the excitement from verse 1 on. When you come to the end of, of, of Thessalonians, the first letter to the Thessalonica church, you find this letter and you find him just going in to just almost like he's running out of paper or out of papyrus. He's running out of ink. He's running out of something. He's running out of time. He's running out. But this brand new church that has been started and formed, and that he had to leave in a hurry out of town for his life. And, and, and so he leaves this church and he writes back to them. He said, listen, i got a few things i got to tell you. And then just almost like bullet points, he fires back at them and just encourages them in a few directions. In a few pivotal moves in their life. But I want you to remember that as we go into this, we've just finished a radical series. And as we go into this, I want you to notice these brand new, some scholars believe maybe only a few weeks to a few months old in their faith. Maybe at best the church is maybe a year old. So we have a brand new church with brand new believers trying to figure out this faith and yet in a city in a, in a pool of persecution. And yet Paul raises the bar from day one. Some people think we've got to inch into the faith. Some people say you gotta, you just kind of warm people up and over time you'll grow people into some core disciplines. I want you to notice how Paul, he jumps in with both feet. 
And he tells these brand new baby believers. He gives them at least three bullet point statements, commands, if you will, exhortations, if you will, to encourage them to be full and overflowing. John Walford, a former professor, president of Dallas Theological Seminary, said of this passage of Scripture alone, he said, there is no easier or more simple recipe for a happy Christian. So you've heard it from the scholars. You're hearing it from Paul. You're hearing it from me. The guys and gals, if we want to have a full life and not a seasonal life, but a full life of happiness, a full life of joy, a full life of satisfaction, we need to tune in right here, right now. So let's look at this, this, these three verses. They're going to be so fast, if you blink, you'll miss them. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, begin reading with me in verse 16. All right, follow along. Here we go. Rejoice always. Verse 17, read it with me. Praying without ceasing. Verse 18, we're almost done. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You see the bullet points right there in almost rapid fire form. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And give thanks in all circumstances. Walford says this is most easily a a recipe for happy Christians. What is going to be the recipe for you and I today and you and I in this day that we can take the choices, that we make these three choices well, we can not only have a happy holiday, but we can take that same joy throughout the year. One is I think we need a proper perspective. We need to understand the perspective he's calling us to. He calls us to rejoice always. To rejoice always. Now, that's a pretty high order for these new believers. That's a pretty high order for these believers that are probably facing persecution. That's a pretty high order for anybody, I don't care, in the best of circumstances, to think for a skinny minute that I'm going to look at life and no matter what life deals me, I will rejoice. He uses a worship term here. What was Paul thinking? That I would go through life in some kind of hymn on my lips? That I would go through life whistling some praise chorus? That I would go through life with a a fake smile always on my face? There's something about what Paul challenges us here to have a different perspective than the rest of the world. The idea is that we would actually make the choice to rejoice. It would be not something that would just just come naturally because it won't come naturally. In this world, life punches us in the gut. It does. It punches us in the gut, but we have to make a choice to rejoice. It's like one person was traveling through Alaska. I've told this story before. And in Alaska, it's got just major shift in seasons and major shifts in sunlight. And all of a sudden, summer comes, what they would call a summer. And all those grounds that have been soft because of the the standing snow and now it's rainy season or whatever has come upon them and the ground is just wet, but yet they're still logging out those those trees out of the forest. And you'll see these great big ruts that are just formed that, that only these great big semi-trucks can pull through. And, and then all of a sudden the season will change just a few months later and these great big old ruts become solid as concrete. And all of a sudden now you're driving in the ruts. And there's this little sign that was plastered on the side of the road. Choose your rut. You will be there for the next 150 miles. You know, you need and I need to choose a rut. Choose an attitude. 
Choose the attitude that we're going to have. Choose the perspective that we're going to have because life is going to put us in seasons. It's going to put us in times that are going to be quite difficult. Now, I want you to notice this. He doesn't say anything about circumstances. He doesn't say rejoice always as long as thumbs are up. He doesn't say rejoice always as long as you got the promotion. He doesn't say rejoice always as long as the marriage is beautiful and perfect just as you planned it. He doesn't say that at all. In fact, the key thing about perspective, when we have the right perspective, we'll have the right attitude. When we have that right attitude in life, when we choose the right attitude, we may not be able to do anything about the circumstances that we are in. But we can do something about the attitude that we have. Can I say that again? We may not be able to do anything about the circumstances where we are in, but we can do a lot about the attitude that we have. And it is choosing our attitude. And it's having the right attitude. It's having an, oh, oh, again, to use the word, rejoicing kind of attitude perspective on life. Literally using a worship word here. That I will rejoice. You can't do it. Let me give you some examples. You can't do anything about it about your circumstances when you get the pink slip from the boss and the boss says we no longer need your services now if you could have done something about it that's a different story but you can't do anything about it when they hand you that slip and they said your services are no longer required here you can't do anything about it when your boyfriend or girlfriend breaks up with you you can't do anything about it whenever your car's broken down on the side of the road now maybe you could have done something to prevent it but you can't do anything in that moment You can't do anything about a lot of the circumstances that we go through in life when we are in the circumstance. Now, again, back it up. Could I have done something to prevent it? Maybe so. But at the point in time in which you are right here, right now, you can't do anything about it. So what do I do is I must have, I must understand that I've got to choose a different attitude. It's not going to be fun and it's not going to be easy because you know what? Misery loves company. And if I can be miserable and I can draw you into my misery, then hopefully you will, you will nurture and caress and, and, and wallow in my misery with me. And you know what? That is understandable and that works, I guess, for a while until you constantly are living in ministry and all, uh, misery and all of us, which sometimes is ministry, ministry is misery. But uh, when you're constantly living like this, Guess what? Nobody's going to want to be around you. But if you can somehow find inside of yourself the right perspective to look at life, no matter your circumstances, you're going to have people flock to you because you've tapped into something that they would love to have. They would love to have the value on life that you have. Victor Frankel as a name that you might want to know. Because you might think, well, Mike, when, when does the limit of this rejoice always come into play? When, when, when I can understand when life is mediocre, when life is good, you should rejoice. But when life isn't so sweet, there's got to be a line. Okay, there's got to be a line of whenever I break 
free and I'm free to just kind of go ballistic in the situation and circumstances. Well, when you look at Viktor Frankl's life and you understand what he went through in Nazi concentration camps in Auschwitz, spending months there, and you, and you think about what he said about his life and about what was going on in his very presence, here's some of the words. He says, the experience of camp life showed me that we have a choice to make. Living in a concentration camp, he learned something. I have a choice to make. What's the choice, Victor? Teach us. We who live in a concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts, comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread, that they may be few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that anything can be taken from us. But one thing, the last human freedoms is to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. We have a choice that we can make. Paul writes to the church of Thessalonica and he says, Rejoice always. Very high water mark there. Very high standard of living. And I don't know what circumstance you're drowning in today. But you can find rejoicing there. Paul even wrote one of the sweetest letters that he wrote was to the church of Philippi. Again, much like the church of Thessalonica, he had this dear love for the church of Philippi. But if there's one common theme that goes throughout the book of Philippi, it is one word that you see almost in every chapter. It is the word rejoice. He challenges them the very same thing to do it again and again and again. Chapter 1, he does it in chapter 4. He does it in several places, multiple times in one verse. Here's one verse. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, in case you didn't hear the first time, I say rejoice. Rejoicing is what we're supposed to be about. Rejoicing is not easy. I'll promise you it's not easy. I know it's not easy. I personally know it's not easy. And you do as well. It's an attitude that I must choose. It's an attitude that you must choose. We must choose. And all of a sudden, when we begin to make that choice to rejoice, the perspective of life begins to change a little bit. The second way we're going to be able to have, make a choice in our life, make a choice in our day-to-day, and have the joy throughout the season that we want, throughout life, is to have the right posture. And that is that we need to pray continuously. Now again, you think about rejoice always, that's ongoing, never ending, 24-7. Pray continuously, ongoing, never ending, 24-7. Never turn the valve off. It's a constant state of prayer. That's the posture. Now when I think of the posture of prayer, I don't think of some, I think of bowing my head and I think of bending my knees, I think of closing my eyes, I think of clapsing my hands. That's what I think of. But I don't think it's at all the image that Paul had for when he talked about prayer Pray continuously. I don't think it was knees bowed, head head bowed, or knees bent and head bowed and hands closed and eyes, whatever. You know what I'm saying. All that kind of stuff. I think what he was trying to say is stand up, upright, head up, eyes open, look around and start praying. That's a life of continuous prayer. That's, I think, a more biblical posture for prayer. Because this is not the only time he said it. He also said it in Romans 12, 12 when he said, be constant in prayer. 
He also said in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, pray in the Spirit at all times. This is something that he, it's an ongoing thing. The writer of Hebrews, Hebrews 13, 15, continually offering up a sacrifice of praise to God. Continually, ongoing. Now, how do you do that? How do you go about life without people thinking you're talking to yourself all the time and be in this constant state of prayer? I think what we need to do is we need to broaden our understanding of what prayer is. Prayer is not always with the bent knee, the bowed head, the closed eyes, the clasped hands. It is learning to pray wherever we are in a continuous communication with God. It's learning how to pray, as as Richard Foster said, breath prayers. Those breath prayers, whenever, whenever, what what if when I got up in the morning... And I walked out and I grabbed my paper. I turned my paper into a prayer guide. What about whenever I, I look at my world, instead of just going out into the world to get all that I can and, 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 and out of this world, what if I walked out in this world and literally I now turn my world into a 3D prayer gram from God that's constantly streaming? Now think about it like that. A 3D prayer gram from God that is constantly streaming. So as I work, as I eat, as I interact, as I do business, as, I, as I'm with my family, I am in this constant attitude of, of prayer to God. Let me give you a couple of examples. People come up to me a lot. They talk to me about their, their issues in life and so forth. And I will say many times, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. Now, I'll tell you right now, I don't go and get my little journal out and just write down, okay, I need to pray for them, I need to pray for them, I need to pray for them. And then all of a sudden, the next day, I turn around and I list all these people, these 15 or 16 people that I met, and I need to pray for them now. I don't do that like that. What I do is, as I'm talking with you and we talk about whatever life is dealing with you, if we're in a situation, in a place, in an environment where we can just stop right there and pray, I'll stop and pray with you right there. Or... As soon as we part ways, I may get in my car, I may start walking the other direction. Whatever it is, I immediately pray for you. It's something that I do on the spot where I am as I go. What if, again, life is a continual streaming prayer thing, a prayer gram from God? You know what? When it comes to needs that I see around me, petitions that I see before me, I see a a family fighting. I see, I see a, somebody who looks quite... I'm a people watcher. I like to go to the malls, not to shop. I like to go to the malls to look at people. And what, what if when I'm sitting in Starbucks next time? And what if whenever you're sitting at your favorite coffee shop? What if whenever you're in your favorite restaurant and you see people, what if you just begin to pray for your waitress? One of the things I like to do is whenever a waitress... I don't always do this, but what I like to do when I'm that conscious, when I have my lenses on, I like to ask the waitress or the waiter... Anything in your life, as, as they're giving me my order, anything in your life that I can pray for, I'm, we're about to pray. You don't, make it, you don't make it big. You don't have to draw them in, lay hands on them, speak in tongues, prophesy over them. You don't have to do anything like that. You can just say, hey, anything in your life that I can pray for. And typically, after they step back a few steps, and it's, oh, well, yeah, they'll give you a few things. They'll give you things to pray for, and all of a sudden you can say, well, all right, we'll we'll pray for you right here, right now. We're about to ask God to bless our food. Again, what you do is you turn life into a prayer gram 3D continually streaming from God. What about sin? I mean, I know I don't have to deal with sin, but you all do. 
you should laugh at that one because that is a big joke. All right? I deal with sin every day. I deal with lust every day. I deal with anger every day. I deal with outburst every day. I deal with the same temptations that you deal with every day. And you know, the last thing I want to do at the end of my day is to drop down beside the bed, bow my head, and start listing off all the sins of my day before God. And I don't think necessarily God just forgive me for all my sins today. Is, is, is exactly what he means when he talks about confessing our sins. What I want to do is I want to live, and here's a phrase for you, I want to live with a short sin list before God. That's a life principle for you. Keep, keep a short sin list with God. I want to go throughout my day, and I want to, as I hear that thought come to my mind, as I have that attitude, as I think that, I want to deal with it right then. I want it out of my life. That's what it means to pray continuously. Are you consciously aware that God is with you, God is in you? As a child of God, He is always with you. And if you're not a child of God today, why not? If you're not a child of God today and He is inviting you to be His child today, give your life to Him today. Say, Lord, right here, right now, I want to be a child of yours, God. I want want to know you, Jesus. I want to know the joy that you can give me. Just tell Him right there where you're sitting. Do it today. Make it serious. Make it a commitment today. And if you become a child of God today, He promises to give you His Spirit and He's with you. So why can't we live in a conscious awareness that God is in our lives? That's what it means to pray continuously. That's why when circumstances do come our way, we can immediately, immediately, where we're walking, driving, setting, standing, in our cubicles at work or in our homes, we can stop, we can keep going, and we can pray. That's what it means to pray continuously. That's the posture of our life, is that we are in a constant state of prayer. Number three, the third thing that I think we need to understand is the expression of our life. The expression of our life, to be thankful in everything. Now, that's a tall order. (laughs) And I don't think we're going to do very well with being thankful in everything. Come on. Now, I can try, but I can't do that. That I could literally learn to be thankful in every circumstance. And then Paul, again, in Ephesians, ratchets it up a notch because he not only says be thankful in everything, but he also says be thankful for everything. Now, sometimes when you're in a bad situation, you say, okay, God, I'm going to be thankful in this. But this over here that's making this bad, I'm not going to be thankful because I'm not thankful for that. But now what he's saying, you need to be thankful in this and for that. In this and for that. And that, again, Paul's got high expectations of his followers, of the followers of Christ. It's, it's, it's a new perspective on life. How do you get there? I don't think you ever get there easily, comfortably. I don't think you ever get there unless there is, first of all, the right perspective. That I'm going to learn to choose my attitude. And I'm going to rejoice always. I don't think you're going to ever get there if you're not constantly praying. Because life deals you some sucker punches. And when it does, if you're not in a constant relationship with God, that you are constantly talking to God about the constant issues of life, God doesn't come to mind. Revenge comes to mind. Despair comes to mind. 
The relationship with God is vital. And then hopefully, 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 I can move forward in my life to becoming grateful in my life. Having an attitude, having a perspective, having, having, the, having the right choice to be thankful and have gratitude in my life and not just take life for granted. Are you taking life for granted? Or are you taking life with gratitude? For granted? With gratitude. For granted? For grat- with gratitude. Vance Habner, a great Baptist preacher, said it like this. Everything we have above nothing is from God. And so if we can just realize that our base is a big goose egg, everything in the in-between, our life, our breath, our home, our car, our relationships, our job, everything that we have is from God. Let's be thankful. In it and for it. What, God, are you doing? You know, in Africa, there's a, a, a special fruit that is out there. It's, and it's got a nickname. It's called the taste berry. When you take this berry in and you eat it, it will totally change your taste buds. It will take your, it's a sweet berry, and it will change the meals for a number of hours, everything you put in your mouth, whether it's hot tea or cold tea or, or it's, uh, or it's uh, meat or, or, it's, or it's lettuce or what, whatever it is that you would put in your mouth, there's a, this, this taste berry changes the taste buds for everything in your mouth. I wonder today if we could take the taste berry of gratitude and we could take it into our life and we could, we could learn to look at our circumstances and we could learn to look at our relationships and we could learn to look at life and, and eat the fruit berry of gratitude. What would it do to our taste buds? There's not a magic pill to having a joyous life. Okay? If there was, I'd be selling them. Alright? There's not a magic pill. It comes down to our perspective. It comes down to our posture. It comes down to our expression. And if we have these things in line, I believe that we'll begin to see life in a totally different perspective. My perspective, my posture, my expression will influence my direction, my impact, and my outcome. Say that with me. My perspective, my posture, my expression will influence my direction, impact, and outcome. Everything built on rejoicing always, pray without ceasing. Everything in my attitude built on giving thanks in everything. That's a tall order. There's one phrase that comes at the end of this that it's almost, again, bullet point, bullet point, bullet point, all the way through. But there's one, the next verse in this says, he says, do not quench the Spirit. Almost seems random. Almost seems out of place. But see, what you got to do is you got you to kind of look at the, the, the statement that I haven't talked about right in the middle of that. It says, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You struggle with the will of God today? Let me tell you, I know the will of God for you today. I'm not saying it because I, I, I've got prophecy, I've got some tarot card, I've, I've got a crystal ball up here. I know it because what the Bible says, and the Bible says that this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. What is it? That you would rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all things. And by the way, live this out 
Because if not, you will quench the Spirit. The Spirit of God that wants to work inside of you and inside of me. The Spirit of God that wants to do some beautiful things in you and in me. It's not the Spirit of the season. It's not the Spirit of Christmas. That's some mystical hokey pokey. It is the person and the work of God. See what happened some years ago at Christmas time? Now, it wasn't December 25th. I don't believe Jesus' birthday is December 25th. We just happened to celebrate it then. We received a gift from God on Christmas. And it was His Son wrapped in swaddling clothes. And that was a beautiful gift because that marked the beginning of a redemptive story of God in mankind to bring you and I back to a relationship with God. Because we've all sinned. We've all messed up. But when when God the Father sent God the Son on that Christmas day, He sent us a beautiful, powerful gift that would ultimately give of Himself again, ultimately in death, but He would conquer death. He would conquer the grave because He would come back to life. And not only that, is He would conquer earth and He would go and ascend into heaven and He would begin to prepare a place for us. But before He left, He said, listen, I'm going to send somebody. So God's going to send us the first gift in God the Son. He's going to send us another gift. God the Son is going to send us a gift in God the Holy Spirit. And this Holy Spirit chooses to live inside the hearts and the lives of every follower of His. And the great thing about God is that He is always, 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 always with us. And so I didn't matter our perspective. When we have Him inside of us, our perspective should be to rejoice. It doesn't, excuse me, it doesn't matter our circumstances because when we have Him inside of us and we understand that as our perspective, then we can rejoice. And it doesn't matter when we have a hard time realizing that I don't need to go to the church to pray or I don't need to do this to pray because we realize that the Spirit of God is with us and that He is hearing us and that He is mediating. He is God. He's with us. It's a beautiful, beautiful reality that happens in the hearts and the lives of a follower of Jesus. So will you have a happy holiday? I hope so. hope you'll get everything you want for Christmas. I hope that you will eat or have eaten all the turkey this season and you will not gain any calories or not gain any weight because there will be no calories. And that's my prayer for you and for me and pumpkin pie, and all the other trimmings of the season. But I realize that that's not reality. My reality is ever before me as it's ever before you. I hope I will rejoice in it. I hope, I hope I will pray without ceasing in it. And I hope to God I'm thankful for anything and everything it deals me in it. Let's have that kind of attitude and perspective. Would you just think about it for your life for a moment? Maybe there is a big, hairy monster in your life. A big, hairy, out-of-control circumstance that you have not been able to rejoice about. You have not been able to find joy in, and, and you won't find joy in the circumstances. You're going to just have to choose to rejoice in it. Maybe you can't even be thankful for it right now, and, and maybe you haven't even thought about praying because every time you pray, it feels like your, your prayers don't go any higher than the ceiling. You know, just, just kind of, you can just sit there in your lap and just hold that thing right there, okay? For some of you today, you've come in here with multiple things. Maybe it's a relationship and maybe it's the job. Maybe it's finances and then maybe it's the demands and the expectations of the season. 
and you're having a hard time rejoicing in them right now, and you're having a hard time being grateful in them right now, and you're having a hard time to even pray and thank God for them or ask God's help in them right now, and you've got two things. You can just hold out two hands. Maybe you're here today, and you've got a bundle. You've got a bushel full. And you just need to hold your hands like this because there are too many for two hands to hold. So I don't know where you're at right now, but I'd just like us all to bow our heads and close our eyes. And if, you're, if your life feels weighted down with one or two, hold one or two hands out there. If your life is weighted down with a bushel, a bundle of things right now, things that you can't rejoice in and things that you're not thankful for, just kind of clasp your hands together and just kind of look down at your hands. And by all means, if you don't have anything right now in your life and life is great and you have found that that sweet spot of rejoicing and being thankful and so on, then you can just, if you want to, you can raise your hands to heaven. But as you just hold those things in front of you right now and you're looking at them, Maybe you'll say a prayer something like this. Dear God, life is weighting me down. And I can't handle this without you. I can't live a full and overflowing life without having your perspective, without having the right posture without learning to express thanksgiving for even the things that I hold in my hand right here. And so, Lord, as I hold my hands out, I hold them out to You. And I just pray that You would take this item, this thing, this relationship, this broken part of my heart, this wounded spot inside of me, and You would help show me how to rejoice and how to pray continuously, and how to be thankful for and in this. Lord, You know our hearts, and You know how heavy they may be. And so, Lord, help us to trust You and give You thanks in and through these circumstances, even if we have no control over them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.